The following program is paid for by Busey Bank. It's time for Money Talk, your chance to call in and receive answers to all your financial questions, from investment management to planning for your retirement and beyond. The experts at Busey Wealth Management are here to help, so you don't have to navigate these difficult financial decisions alone. The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station. Call in now, 356-9397. And now here is Money Talk. Hi, welcome to Busey Money Talk. My name is Mark Wisniewski. I am one of the co-hosts of the show, along with Aaron Sutton. Aaron's one of our chief, is our chief portfolio manager uh, at Busey. Uh, today, we are lucky to have two, two guests with us. We've got Pat Schilling. Pat's a mortgage loan officer uh, for us. We think it'd be a good time of year to have Pat in, kind of talk about uh, the overall housing market and, and what's going on out there, what he sees and knows got Max Stutzman. Uh, Max is a relationship manager uh, in our commercial area, so we thought we'd hit both sides of the real estate market. But Max is also probably our uh, official NCA guru, so knowing it's March Madness, we thought we'd have Max on board to, to give us our pick. Uh, I think he's got Illinois going all the way, so we're all good. Uh, but to start it off, we're going to turn it over to Aaron Sutton to kind of give you an update on the market, what's going on. Yeah, no lack of no lack of news, Mark. Um, and surprisingly, as we're going to see, uh, with everything going on, we're pretty much still about where we were a month ago during the radio show. Wow. Um, even though we've had a lot of ups and downs between then, uh, yeah, here in the U.S. market, uh, it's basically been about flat over the last month. Uh, so I kind of compiled all this news, and really, this was a time where. Uh, it was hard to figure out what to put for the show. Uh, there was no lack of news. There usually isn't, but I would say even more so this time. Just so much going on in the world, uh, major events impacting the market. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of difficult to narrow it down as far as what to focus on today. Um, but your, as always, your NCA picks, I take it then? I, I did get those out of the way, took care <laughs> of it yesterday. Um, but no, I did not pick Illinois like Max uh. did. So. <laughs> um, so I figured I would start with the jobless claims. Uh, those come out this morning, and so we always like to give those to our listeners. Uh, and it looks pretty good. Uh, they came in at about 214000 The number expected was two twenty, so a little better than expected. And that's down about 15000 from last week. So jobless claims have been trending in the right direction for some time. And this is one thing we pointed to time and time again that uh, of everything going on in the world, one of the really bright spots is the labor market here in the U.S. Uh, it's very tight right now. In fact, uh, the unemployment rate is down below 4% now. Wow. Yeah, it's at about 3.8%. Uh, and Chairman Powell, in his testimony yesterday or uh, his news conference, uh, cited this numerous times, just how strong the labor market is and how that bodes pretty well for our economy going forward. You know, you know, the question with the labor market, too, is I know, you know, Busey or a lot of other places are just still try having problems finding people. Yeah, there the is uh, a shortage. So I think from the business aspect, that makes things a little bit difficult. Uh, but from an overall economy standpoint, as we've talked about before, about two-thirds of our economy is driven by consumer spending. So when people have jobs and they're getting raises like they have been, uh, consumer spending's been quite strong, and that's been driving economic growth. So you're right; it is kind of a good news, bad news situation. But I would put it a little more in the uh, in the good news category. Sure. Uh, and then also to uh, continuing claims is another another number that comes out. 
Uh, that also fell to about 1.4 million. And that is the lowest level since February of 1970. Wow. Yeah, so you got to go back quite a ways to find continuing claims down that low. And again, just tells you how strong the labor market is. I mean, anybody that wants a job out there, you can find one. Uh, there, As you said, uh, a lot of companies are trying to get employees in the door. <clears throat> All right, and then also, too, uh, again, on the positive side, we had a U.S. factory output number that uh, rose 1.2% for February. So good to see a nice increase there. Also, too, within this reading, they uh, give you capacity util utilization. So what level are these factories running at? Again, 100% would be running at full tilt. Uh, and capacity utilization, utilization is right at 78%, uh, which is a pretty good wow. number. Uh, and that's been increasing as well. And that's actually the highest uh, since 2018. So again, uh, to kind of put that in perspective, uh, it's kind of a, a multi-year high there for utilization. Uh, now, the one negative spot there, and I'm sure anybody that's looked for an automobile, I think yeah, we talked about right. this a few shows ago, uh, auto production was actually slightly negative. Wow. Yeah, mainly due to the supply constraint. Uh, again, it's just still very tough to get those chips. Uh, if you excluded that, uh, output would have been up about 1.5%. So what, what are they saying about the chip shortage? When do they, do they have an anticipated date when things will pick back up? I mean, You know, I... It seems to be changing. Uh, there's a lot of articles written about this, a lot of estimates out there. Uh, it seems the consensus now is being pushed back to maybe the end of this year. Wow. Uh, things might start Ooh. to ease. Yeah. If you back up probably uh, towards the end of last year, people were saying maybe the middle of 2022. Well, now it's being looked like it's uh, being pushed out a little bit. Uh, and related to this, this was one of the other news items I've had that's, again, all tied together. Uh over in China, they're starting to see COVID cases tick up a little bit, and they're still taking the zero COVID policy over there. And what that means is anytime cases start to ramp up a bit, they just lock everything down. Wow. Yeah, so uh, this happened in Shenzhen, um, and so they just locked down several million people uh, because of this rise in cases. And again, the reason this is important is there's a lot of large factories in that area. Oh, right. um, one of them uh, relates to Apple products. Sure. But again, the chip manufacturing is all impacted by this. Uh, so each time they do that, it kind of compounds the supply constraint. Because uh, again, as we know, China supplies a lot of the world with uh, electronics. So is it a new variant, did they say, or is it just? It does appear there is a new variant out there. Uh, I don't know specifically what's popping sure. up in China, if it's the Omicron or this right. new one that they're seeing here and in Europe. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that news yet. Hmm. Um, and then finally, uh, on the positive side, and this maybe relates to uh, maybe some of the comments Pat might make later, but uh, we got a good housing construction number. Uh, so housing starts rose 6.8% uh, last month. Uh, and as we're probably going to talk about, uh, the supply of houses is really tight right now. So uh, good to see construction picking up, but uh, still has a long ways to go to, to really meet the demand that's out there. Uh, now, that was most of my good news. Uh, so now I'm going <laughs> to flip, flip over to uh, kind of what some of the negative items out there are. Um, a few days ago, we got a reading on inflation. Uh, this was actually the producer price index. So basically uh, what these factories are paying for their goods. Uh, and that rose 10%, 10% year over year. Yeah, so it got into double digits. Just a huge number. Uh 
And a big part of this uh, was actually gasoline prices. Uh, those were up about 15%, and they accounted for about 40% of that gain in the producer price index. Uh, so again, I'm sure our listeners and you guys have you seen around town, you know, gas is in the 450 range around here. Uh, and I also saw um, some interesting articles around this, and it kind of, I, I thought there was a term in there that I thought was interesting around gas prices. And it's basically the rocket and feather effect. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this. Uh, What it says is uh, as oil increases, gas prices go up like a rocket. But when they fall, they go down like a feather. Uh, (laughs) And so I think everybody can relate to that. Uh, Yeah, as soon as the war broke out, we saw oil increase, you know, to 120, 130 a barrel. Gas prices immediately shot up above $4.00. And then actually, over the last few days, we've seen oil come back down quite a right. bit, but gas held yeah, steady no, right, right where it was. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, on the way over, I saw it was still around 450. So, well, you say that, Aaron, and uh, I was actually down in Effingham yesterday. At, yesterday, and filled up for 459. And as I was driving down 57, Tuscola uh, was at 409. So, if you need any oh, gas, okay. uh, Tuscola might be the place to go. All right. Well, there's your tip of the day for those listeners <laughs> out there. Uh, 23 miles to Tuscola. Yeah, driving and south, back. Yeah, <laughs> stop in Tuscola. Burn two gallons. <laughs> All right. Uh, and then last but not least um, is obviously the Russia-Ukraine situation. Um, you know, this is a very tragic event that's just having a wide-ranging impact uh, on a lot of things. And it's really kind of driving the market day to day. You know, we get these headlines like yesterday where maybe there's some progress as far as a truce goes. And we saw a really nice rally in the market. Uh, here in the U.S., we were up 2 to 3%. Emerging markets were up 7% yesterday. Uh, just on some of this news. Uh, but then you get news today where it says, no, maybe talks are falling apart again and the market you know, trades off a little bit. So you know, really day-to-day is just, just kind of headline-driven uh, what's going on out there. And again, um, it's hard to predict how this is going to end. Um, and so I'm not even going to try to speculate uh, on a timing around that. Um, yeah, so those were some of the major news items I had uh, related to this Russia-Ukraine situation. Uh, another issue that's popping up is the debt that Russia owes outside of the country. Um, there's talks that they may default on this debt. Um, and what they may actually end up doing is a lot of this debt is actually priced in dollars. Uh, but because of the shank- sanctions put on them, uh, they're, ha- they're losing access to dollars. And so they're going to try to pay this debt off potentially in rubles, which would technically be a default on that debt. So. This is all playing out kind of as we speak. Uh, In fact, there's a 30-day grace period uh, that starts today uh, for them to make some of these bond payments. And so, uh, again, this is causing some noise in the debt markets, has the potential to spill over and kind of be a larger issue uh, if they do indeed end up defaulting on some of this debt. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't see why they wouldn't, though. I mean, knowing the way Putin has been with, you know, the way he's approaching things, why, why should he, you know, he, he appears to be an individual that's like, who cares? Yeah. You know, if it, we go in default, we go in default. I mean, I just saw the story in Cranes yesterday about how they've switched the McDonald's to, I forgot what the name was, some kind of funky name, you know, all the store trying to make <laughs> it look like it's still McDonald's, but it's not really McDonald's. Gotcha, yeah. Um, you're right. It, it does appear that he's almost going with kind of the scorched earth policy right. where, yeah, he doesn't care about anything anymore. It, it's really hard to say um, because if this does happen, it's going to have ramifications for a very long time. You know, this war obviously will too, but 
if they default on this debt, it's really going to make it tough for people to lend them money in the future uh, as this kind of sets a precedent. So, yeah, this could have some really long-lasting impacts over did, the country. Did they say who the debt was with? Is it with China or? It's, mean, uh, it's everybody okay. uh, kind of owns this. Uh, sure. Large investment banks, other countries, uh, you know, large pensions probably own some of this right. debt as part of their investments. So, uh, yeah, it's really spread around the globe. All right, so you know, in the last few minutes here, uh, before the middle of the show, I thought I'd just run through some of the numbers yeah, as no, far as where the markets are. So, like I said, since our last show, uh, U.S. markets are basically flat over the last month or so. However, uh, they still are down quite a bit year to date. Uh, for instance, the S&P 500, that market's down about 8%. Uh, mid-caps have held up a little better. They're down about 6 uh, And then the Russell 2000, which is small caps here in the U.S., uh, down about 9.5% uh, to start the year. So uh, certainly a sell-off we're seeing. Uh, we did get into correction territory, uh, which is a sell-off greater than 10%, but we've come a little bit off those lows, and so we're not quite in correction territory now, but we were there uh, just a week or so ago. Uh, as far as the underlying sectors, uh, still the energy stocks, not surprisingly, are doing really well. They're really the only sector that are positive. Uh, and those stocks are up about 30% hmm. uh, to start the year. So uh, if you have exposure there, that's helped cushion uh, some of the sell-off. But energy stocks now make up a pretty small percentage of the overall market. Uh, in fact, if you look at that S&P 500 index, energy is only about 3.5% of the index. Uh, so it's a pretty small wow. amount that energy stocks make up. Uh, now, in the international markets, not surprisingly, those have gotten hit a little harder. Um, the developed markets are down about 6%, and those emerging market stocks are down about 13% just since our last show. Uh, so that's happened over the last month. Uh, before that, they had been holding up pretty well, and so now year-to-date, uh, developed stocks are down about 95 uh, Emerging market stocks are down about 12 uh, So as you can see, for those emerging markets, all of their loss basically came in the last month or so. Uh, and then finally, uh, the bond market, where we've seen a lot of action. Uh, you know, we had the Fed rate hike yesterday. Uh, they indicated they're going to raise rates probably six more times this year. Six? Yeah, six. so short-term rates are definitely going to be going up. And we've seen markets kind of move in anticipation of that. In fact, the biggest move has been in the two-year Treasury bond. Uh, that's gone from less than a quarter of a percent to now yielding about 2% uh, for that two-year Treasury which is also where the 10-year Treasury is about that same level. So we're seeing a really flat yield curve right now where basically the 2, the 5, and the 10-year Treasury are all yielding right about 2%. Uh, so again, just a really flat yield curve out there. Uh, and related to that, and again, this kind of gets into what Pat might talk about, uh, we saw the 30-year mortgage rate. It got above 4% right. yeah, for the first time uh, in some time. So. Uh, it's having an effect, uh, and rates are going up, uh, again, because of the Fed action and because of these inflation numbers that we've been seeing. Wow. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, pretty uh, uh, interesting stuff. I won't say great stuff, good stuff. I mean, it's it's just it, interesting to see how It's a things... mix, yeah, some good news and some bad news, but I think the bad news right now is outweighing the good news, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, last year at the same time, we were like, yeah, what a great market this is. You <laughs> yeah. know, it keeps going up and everything yeah. else. So now we got to kind of adjust our uh, thought process here. Um, just from a just quickly from an asset allocation standpoint, I know we briefly touched on it on the last show, too, is, 
do we, I mean, are value stocks still performing well compared to growth stocks? They are. Yeah. So energy makes up a, a portion of the value stock. So not surprisingly, that's helped there. Um, utilities are actually the second best performing sector. Uh, they're in the value camp. Uh, so yeah, we are still seeing that value versus growth dynamic play out. And to your point, uh, we think that's something that has a little bit of legs going forward sure. too. We think value should continue to do well versus growth based on the valuation difference that we're seeing. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, kind of Patty kind of introed it over to you right. to, uh, to talk about the housing market. <laughs> so what, you know, uh, I guess you can talk a little bit about last year, what you saw in the housing market in Champaign. I know a lot of people were talking that, you know, people would put up their house and they'd sell it in a couple of days. Are we still seeing that? We uh, are. You know, people are still finding multiple buyers looking at the same house. It's tough to get something bought unless you're a little bit aggressive and, and ready to go. And obviously you need your approval letter in your hand. So the market's hot. And I had some figures from uh, the latest figures from CCAR from January that I had. And the average price in uh, 2021 was up 10%. Or the median price was up 10% to 170 and the average price of a home was up 16% to almost 212000 Wow. So that's gone up quite a bit over time. But So is that just our market? Just our market. Okay, gotcha. Yep. Right. So, and, and we've seen rates. I looked back because I knew I was going to be on here. You know, rates have gone up like a percent and a half over the last 12 months. Wow. And they've been trading heavy on this. Oh, the Fed's going to raise rates six or seven times. I think quite a bit of that's baked in already. Mm-hmm. And we actually saw rates back off today about a quarter of a percent from their highs last night. Okay. Oh, really? So wow. we met, that may settle down. And sure. Obviously, if if the Russia-Ukraine situation settles down, that would help a lot as well. Sure. But we're spoiled. I mean, I had 14.5 for my first home in 1981. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, and a seller's second. Right. You know? And so, you know, if we're in the fours, you know, we're spoiled. Mm-hmm. But everybody's so used to two and three. Right. It's tough. But we have seen, uh, I've seen several of my customers shift to uh, uh, adjustable rate mortgages. Uh-huh. You got a, a nice discount on those. Instead of paying the higher 30-year fixed rate, they'll do that if you've got a little risk tolerance. Right. So, so Pat, for our listeners, um, how do those adjustable rates work? You know, how long is it fixed for? How often does it adjust? Or Fixed it, for five, seven, or ten years. Okay. So, like, the ten-year can't change it's fixed for 10 years gotcha. and you can amortize those over 30 years so okay. a lot of can happen you might not even be in that house and with the university in our transit community a lot of those people may may be in and out you know and so it'll work perfect for them so and we keep them it's nice yeah yeah i mean with i mean that is a great great product especially to get you in and you know at a little lower interest rate and especially like you said if you're, if you're not planning on staying there very long even a starter home Probably might be a, a good avenue to, to try that. I mean, like you said, you know, you were at whatever, six, 14, 16%. My first home was 9%. And I was so excited when it went down to yep. 6, 6.75. 6, 6. Right. So, yeah, people are kind of spoiled right now. So, is there, are you, are you seeing like a sweet spot of where homes are trading? You know, it used to be, uh, you know, when I was talking to a real estate agent, they were like, anything over 400000 is going to take a long time to sell. Yeah, I mean, I think that's still the case. If you have a house for 600 there are few, fewer people that can qualify. It's a big funnel. And the more people can qualify for the less expensive homes. And 
there are always gaps. I don't know what the gaps are, but your realtor would know where there's a lack of inventory in a certain price range, and that can be really hot and sell at a nice premium. So it's a great time to be a it's a great time to be a seller, mm-hmm. right? So now you were saying too is which you know I don't re- recall it being so much in the past, but having a pre-approval letter. How do you go about getting a pre-approval letter? You call into your lender and have a little meeting, either on the phone or in person, and provide income and asset information. The lender will run your credit and give you a letter that's typically good for four months, and then just sort of wait for you to buy, you know. And that way, the realtor well, you don't want to cart somebody around at five fifty gas unless you know they can buy, you know, <laughs> <laughs> even if you're in Tuscola at four hundred nine. So, so, so this is for the benefit of the real estate agents, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know, let's say uh, you're the seller and you got your ten offers in front of you on the kitchen table. Well, you, you, you know, they aren't even going to look at one that doesn't have a pre-approval. And then the next thing they're going to look at is who has to sell their house first to buy mine, and then who's is there a cash offer, et cetera. And you'll be obviously better received if you if you own a home if you can buy before you sell. Well, how long does it take to get a pre-approval letter? About an hour. Really? Oh yeah. Holy cow! Pretty painless. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize. So we do those constantly. Hmm. So. So with the, uh, as you pointed out, too, that uh, Fed raising rates really does, doesn't seem like it's going to have that big of an impact on uh, what the rates are currently because it's been baked in. What do, you, do you antici- what do you anticipate the market looking like for the rest of the year? Or do you have a sense or no? It's going to be more of a purchase market than a refi market. But they say, you know, they, there are lots of people out looking. They say pending the other the – other, uh, uh, Mentioned in the January CCR article where pending sales were a little down, like the people that are going to close in the next 30 to 60 days. But I'm sure that will be picking up as the true selling season approaches, which is about now. And hopefully there will be some more inventory. We always seem to suffer from a lack of inventory, which may push a little new construction. Yeah, what is, what is the busiest month, would you say, out of the year for purchases? used to be, you know. June, July, August. Kind of right in the middle of summer. Right, get everybody in place before school. Okay. Okay. Most of our market's driven by the U of I. Yeah. So what do you see from a a new home construction standpoint? Are people building? I mean, I know, you know, as Aaron pointed about the supply chain and the cost of uh, building materials has got to be up. So are people building or not building? People are building. And so do we do do construction? We do construction loans, sure. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of that. If you notice out at Stone Creek when the U of I took over out there, mm-hmm. there's a big push to sell lots and people are building mm-hmm. out there and, wow. and other other places as well. Sure, sure. Well, that's great. I appreciate uh, all the information, <coughs> kind of getting the handle on stuff. Uh, the good thing is I'm not in the position to sell or buy right now, so <laughs> I, I, I'm good to go. Call me. <laughs> so I, I, the last question, too, I, I meant to ask this, too, is what's the, what's the typical percentage that people put down on their house? Gosh, you know, five to twenty-five. Five to twenty-five percent. Okay. Probably fifteen to twenty being an average. And to avoid PMI, twenty percent. Twenty percent. PMI is an insurance. Just so for the yeah. listeners that don't Mortgage know, insurance. You could take out. You, let's say you own your house. You don't have twenty percent down. We'll put five percent down. Buy the house when your house sells. Pay down your loan. Sure. PMI. So Makes sense. that's what some Perfect. people do. Yeah. Perfect. <clears throat> um, well, thanks for the information. That's Pat Schilling, Mortgage Loan Officer, Busey Bank, 909 Kirby Avenue. Thank you.
so we'll turn it over to Max Stutzman, who's a relationship manager in our commercial area. Max does uh, a lot of business with our apartment owners uh, and some construction projects as well. So just for the listeners, Max, talk about the, the Champaign-Urbana market from a, a build perspective, or what, what do you see happening going around? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of activity here in the past year or so, especially in the student housing uh, industry here at the U of I. Um, <clears throat> there really hasn't been a lot of new construction on campus this past year, um, but because they're almost, you know, running out of room. Uh, there's been <laughs> the past couple years, uh, there was a lot more uh, new construction, but what we're seeing is, um, you know, some apartment owners selling uh, just because of where cap rates are at and the, the value they can get for their properties. But, you know, I've talked to um, you know, we work with quite a few developers and, um, at, you know, construction cr- uh, prices continue to increase, but um, people are still building. They expect uh, rents to increase here over the next uh, year or two. So, um, you know, they definitely have to have the deals pencil out to be able to build. Yeah, I mean, uh, you might have brought up a good point, too. There have been some very uh, large apartment owners that have, have sold out recently because the prices were just, you know, at, at like, I won't say an all-time high because I, I can't know if it is or not. But, I mean, the, the prices were right. But now you were, I think, you know, some of that was sold to out-of-town mm-hmm. uh, people. Yeah, I think something else, too, that we're starting to see is kind of a rebound uh, in student housing, um, you know, prices uh, for apartments. I think there was a little bit of a dip during COVID uh, just so they could get their apartments leased up. But, you know, we're starting to see a bounce back, uh, especially going into the 2022-2023 school year uh, where they're getting back to pre-pandemic levels. Max, did the apartment owners get hurt during the, the pandemic? Oh, that's a good, good question. You know, um, I think some did struggle, uh, but I think a lot of, you know, banks, you know, locally are, and uh, w- were able to work with some of the apartment owners, uh, you know, that, but really it was a lot better than what I expected. I think a lot of them did discount rents uh, just so they could get their buildings full. You know, they would rather have a, a building full that's, that's discounted a little bit than, uh, you know, have a large vacancy. But uh, I think they did uh, fare out better than, you know, I think everybody was expecting. Yeah, it's, and, you know, with that, that's a great point, you know, Pat, because, you know, it's, as Max pointed out, I mean, but I think the big thing was they discounted rents. And now, you know, as, as we're coming out of the COVID, I mean, we're all sitting around here not wearing masks, which is van- absolutely fantastic, I will say. <laughs> um, but now they're beginning to raise rates back up. And so it'll be see if there's any impact to the students. I mean, typically, you know, you get a lot of students from Chicago or outside of the Champaign market, and those, those kids aren't afraid to pay rent. I mean, uh, Max, what's, what's a typical, let's say, one-bedroom, two-bedroom, and a three-bedroom in in a fairly new apartment yeah i think you're anywhere from a you know a one bedroom unit you're anywhere from uh you know on the lower end you can probably get somewhere between you know 700 and a thousand dollars but some of these new some of these new units i mean you're well over a grand just for a a one bedroom unit um you know for a a four bedroom uh, apartment complex you know where a a group of friends will go in together Uh, we're seeing those right right around between about six and seven hundred dollars a bed um, so, and I, I, like I said, I expect those to, to increase over the next year or two as well. But there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of value add um, to some existing buildings that we're starting to see. But um, you know, everybody says there's there's so much supply on campus, but there continues to be a demand uh, from the university as enrollment continues to increase. Some of them buy houses. Yeah, that's another. Be here for several years, and maybe there's a trailing kid that'll live there too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and kind of go back to the pandemic. I think that everybody thought everybody was going to move home, but uh, a lot of these students would rather be in their apartment than moving back in with mom and dad. So <laughs> I think that uh, that helped as well. And, and as a parent, I'd rather them be out too. So that's <laughs> just, just my subtle opinion on Works that. Works both ways. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, yeah, and, and Pat brought up a good point too. There's a lot of houses on campus that people – uh, Dubai or around campus. I mean, if they've got a car, it's a lot of times easier for the parents to buy the house, let them live there for a few years. And as it turns out right now at this market, you could flip that house probably for a lot more than you mm-hmm. paid it oh, yeah. for it four years ago. If your kid's got credit, put him on the loan to get the owner-occupied rate as well. Wow. So some people do that. So <laughs> get the kid a credit card, have it in place for 12 months or more. You are full of information. That's awesome. I did, I did not know that. I mean, that, that's great to know, though. Uh, so, okay, as we kind of wind down here, I uh, appreciate everybody's time today. Just uh, why don't we circle around to see uh, who did you pick in your final game for the NCAA tournament? Iowa-Purdue with Purdue winning. What? Big Ten guy. Oh, I can tell that now. Yeah, I've got uh, Arizona with Gonzaga with Arizona winning. I didn't really go out on a limb there. Max? You know? And I have uh, Illinois winning it all. <laughs> I, uh, I I told you guys both before we started that I would rather fail to bracket when Illinois uh, isn't playing, but I can't go against them, and I, I think they're going to have a strong tournament. Good. Yeah, I'm kind of along with Aaron. I've got Gonzaga and Arizona. I, I went kind of plain vanilla this year. Didn't want to kind of go out on a limb too much. So appreciate everybody's time today. Uh, enjoy. Uh, it's, it's spring break week in, in Champaign, Illinois.